Testing, testing, one, two, three. Testing, testing, one, two, three. Okay, let's get Ryan on. Let's see if this is actually working. I don't know what's going on, ladies and gentlemen. There we go. There we go. Ryan is on. I am on. I am. It was very weird. I don't know what was happening. I'm not sure. I'm sure the explanation is terrifically boring. Um, I switched from my internet to whatever it is when it's not my Wi-Fi. I feel like an idiot not knowing that extemporaneously. But hey, and a one and a two and a one, two, three, four. Welcome to House of Strauss. Welcome to Industry Talk. Cold open, cold intro, Yu Yang says. We've got a nice little docket, a nice little haunch of content for you this evening. But first of all... felt like the media gods gave us a lot this week. It is, um, you know, Pat McAfee is up to something season. It is Mm. media beef season in between the NBA Finals and Labor Day. There are Mm. less relevant sports that are on live to talk about. The talents start to, like, feel a little bit insecure that people aren't paying attention to them as much. A third of them at a time are on vacation, and when they're back at work, they are fighting with people. Yes, and uh, I do think the two things, as you are saying, are somewhat connected. The less content we get, the more feuds that we get. Should we start with the feuds? Should we start with this whole rigmarole of Draymond, who I think has never stopped podcasting since he won the championship? I think he has been doing... He's probably on a live one right now somewhere, (laughs) like, I don't know, in Michigan or something. And the Warriors are vengeful. They are vengeful gods, these Warriors. To the extent that even a pissant like myself sees that Clay went on Andre's podcast. And I think to myself, am I going to get a shot? You know, they're, they're, they're sort of going after everybody right now. It's been an interesting... Well, let's get into that. Let's, let's, let's start off the bat with the old, uh, the old Warriors. Uh, on the radio, uh, one of the hosts on the local radio, I think KNBR, was, was listening. They were trying to calm down the fans who were angry at Draymond who was doing a live podcast with J.J. Redick, uh, and he was saying that the Warriors had gotten figured out, that Steph couldn't create his own shop back then, but now he can. It does. I, look, I don't want to read Moses. <laughs> yeah, there, did you, there was, like, some thread, like, of, like, a video of, like, Steph drilling a bunch of shots, be, like, either when Dur- Durant was there yeah. or before or something. And it's like, yeah, actually, he can. Um Go ahead. You make your point, but I do have a well, take on this. Yeah, they they were uh, trying to tell the fans to settle down and not be mad about it. Just be happy that you've won. That Steph got his Finals MVP. That you've shut everybody up. Don't don't concern yourselves with the things that Draymond is saying. But I thought to myself, the fans are just responding to the energy that the players are putting out there, and uh, they have won this glorious championship. The people in the region I live in are quite happy about it. But it seems like, for whatever reason, ninety percent <laughs> of the energy goes to "fuck you," some guy on Fox Sports, and maybe two percent of the energy is "thank you" to the fans. So the fans are just. I don't. That two percent seems high. Gratitude <laughs> is something I've not seen a lot of. Yeah, that might be the modern condition. That might have nothing or to do with the Or what about, you know, thank you, Joe Wakeup, for spending your ass off. Like, <laughs> instead of, like, F you, Brian Windhorst, for saying that Joe Wakeup is spending his ass off, how about <laughs> thank you? Like, if Ben Thompson listens to this, he's been complaining about yes. for years about, like, the Bucks squan- squandering the Malcolm Brogdon salary slot. Like... The, I, something that the the Warriors have not done in spades. And so, I was just thinking about that today as I was doing the dishes. I was thinking about how Lakeup isn't an easy guy to like. Uh, he's a bit of a he is a bit of an aloof guy. He's cocky. He names his dogs after Ayn Rand protagonists, which some people probably love, but most people who root for the team probably don't. And yet. Competent ownership, wanting to win, is such a prerequisite to this sort of success, and you see it in the Wiggins acquisition, and even before the acquisition, just keeping that salary slot open by going for uh, by going for Russell. Not every owner would do it. Blakeup isn't deep pocketed compared to the other ownership groups. I, according to sources, I don't want to break news. 
but the Warriors have been running at a loss as far as revenue is concerned the last few years. Uh, yeah, and looked- yeah, but like the value of their franchise has escalated so exponentially that that loss is just minuscule. And I agree, but part of that is having the balls to overspend and to keep that brand where you want it to be. And yes, all was, true. And like, yeah. you know, making that bet on that arena, et cetera. Yeah, that bet that went terrible for them initially because, hey, who could have foreseen that the world would shut down um, and this billion-dollar arena you paid for through private financing couldn't host any concerts, whatever, whatever. I know fans don't care, but it is it is the case that ownership is one of, if not the most important component in a franchise's success, but it's not it's not what we want the success to be about. It's not what we want it to be. But yeah, to what you're saying, for whatever reason, in the aftermath of winning. I haven't heard one player thank him ever. <laughs> well, he's a bit of a dick. <laughs> I mean, I think that's, 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 uh, that's, a, big, that's a big part of it right there. Um, but you need that, maybe. And that's why Lakeup is just a literary figure has always fascinated me. He's got that Daniel Plainview uh, from There Will Be Blood type about him, where he just wants to kill and conquer, and he doesn't, there's no feels. I've always appreciated it about him. I don't like the billionaires who are touchy-feely because I think they're liars. I don't like the way Mark Benioff, the guy who is the uh, most powerful citizen in San Francisco, how he does things, where he tries to be uh, cuddly, and, you know, it's just, I, I don't like it. It's bullshit. I'd rather somebody be like a lake of, somebody who's just a shark and says they're a shark. I'm far more into that. And in this case, it's gotten results. But to try to guide us back to the topic at hand, uh, in the aftermath of it all, uh, Draymond's just been in this maelstrom of his making, uh, saying that he is as committed to the podcast as he is to his playing career. And God damn it, the guy is generating a lot of heat. And uh, now it's, it's turned into a feud with so many people, but specifically with Skip Bayless. Your take, yeah. Ryan. Um, so in the in a live podcast with JJ Reddick, and by the way, this is like very full circle because a few weeks mm. ago Stephen A. Smith misremembered the circumstances of how he joined first take <laughs> on JJ Reddick's podcast. Skip uh-uh. was like very hurt, went like forty five minutes about how he, he was averaging was and why Stephen A was wrong about Skip, um, Skip Bayless was averaging a, a loud sigh every thirty seconds in, in his response. He was so yeah, hurt. Yeah, and then, <laughs> then they hashed things out in a quote unquote difficult conversation by the pool at Bayless's LA area home. And <laughs> I've been writing about this every step of the way, like because it's, it's a lot like I, I like I kind of um, like we don't like need to make them. look. We are ridiculous people to love this as much as we do. But I make mo- I make no apologies. I, I I love I love stupid, loud, attention getting, angry sports media talkers and all of their fights. I'm, I I'm do too. Brilliant. It's a, it's it's what I like. It's what I live for. It's probably <laughs> like the most distinctive feature of like the work that I do. But um, so on. It, like this week, I think, um, I don't know when it was, but Draymond said, like, he, like they've been talking about how Draymond's been going on an FU parade, and Draymond said, like, the most satisfying one is Skip Bayless. So it's like, yeah, seventy year old man who said we couldn't win. I proved you wrong. I'm so happy. Um, I don't even remember a Skip Bayless Warriors take, by the way. I don't Just... either. Like, I they they they, they missed me, but um. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he then said that um, Skip needed Stephen A and then needed Shannon to salvage his career. And as Skip went through methodically with Stephen A, that wasn't true with Stephen A. Um, <laughs> he he really did save Stephen A's career. He fought, and Jamie Horowitz fought, yeah. the ESPN executives for years to try to get Stephen A back into the company and then to be allowed full-time on that show. But it already was doing pretty well before, like with Bayless versus a rotating cast of debaters. Um, 
before Stephen A. Smith was the permanent replacement in 2012. Um, yeah. Because, you know, that, that Tebow season in 2011, just Skip was like, if you can remember back then, it was a very long time ago, but Skip was just like in the conversation every day and encroaching on like the sports center ratings from ESPN too. And yeah. I think beating them in the young demographic, at least I've been told, but I haven't verified that. So anyways, it's also not true as Shannon Sharp because Shannon got fired from CBS sports in 2014. Like they just discarded him from their pregame NFL show and like halftime and postgame and whatever. And then he was like, you know, uh, end of the bench guy at ESPN. He would like fill in on first take when Stephen A was out occasionally or things of that nature. But he was not somebody that they were like banging down the door to sign to do a daily show. That was again, yeah. Skip and Jamie seeing something in him that nobody else in the business was seeing at the time. Well, it, it's funny that the two sides, the athletes, and the gas bags, and I say that with some affection, they're almost using the same tactics against one another of trying to deny the importance of trying to cite that uh, the teammates is more important to try to deny the importance. It's almost like Draymond is attacking Skip Bayless in the way Skip Bayless would attack Steph Curry, um, as opposed to everybody simply recognizing that uh, it's a team game. Many hands makes the work light. People can bring out the best in one another. These life lessons that we should be learning, but instead we're in this constant <laughs> But this instead, constant battle. it's like he's the top of my FU parade. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much. And I, I don't know where the whole thing is headed. I like talking about it. I haven't necessarily wanted to write about it, the whole old media versus new media. I think new media is good branding by Draymond, you know, to say I'm the new media. It ultimately doesn't even matter if what he says is fact-based or true or anything like that because he's getting, like, attention for it. And just because, like, he said something was that was untrue – he doesn't have to give the engagement back. It's non-refundable. But, but he should go on that program because Skip Bayless has thrown down. He will because uh, I well I don't want to I can't say why, but he will. Oh whoa! Ooh. Mm, okay, that's interesting. Is that a story? Is that going to be on the New York Post? What is? No, that? I just I. It would cause me much more aggravation than revealing it now, unfortunately. Well, that at least gets me excited for it happening. Because Skip Bayless has challenged Draymond. Say it to his face. Say it to his face on TV. And uh, that's that's some entertainment that I'm uh, that I'm into. I'm a weirdo. I'll, I'll just Ryan. say that there's somebody who who knows both of them well who I would imagine will make it happen. Ah. Well, look. I'm I'm a weirdo. I love those clips, those YouTube clips from these shows. I don't listen to any of these sports podcasts. I don't know if that would be surprising to people or people would say it 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 figures. Yeah, I don't but... I mean I don't listen to most of them either. Like I'll yeah. I'll sample the clips and then if I see one going viral, I usually will try and figure out to make sure someone doesn't get taken out of context like I saw happen to Brian Windhorst earlier. This that season. happens, Brian. That happens to Brian all the time. It, people... Because he's the very... most interesting commentator there is, and people, you know, get in a tizzy to aggregate him, but they don't listen to the sentences that before come before or after the ones that they're highlighting. They're just locked into this idea where everything he says is about LeBron or something. That's not the case as I've seen it. And I, it's hard to tease out sometimes why people are offended. And again, it's been, it's been on the local radio of people raging at Brian Windhorst for calling the Warriors championship a checkbook win or, or something like that, where I think which he was he just, wasn't saying as an insult. He was saying it as like a matter of fact, which. Is. Yeah, but they, they react in a, they react in a certain way and it's all, it's all very silly. Um, I feel as though we're almost doing the show backwards from how we wrote out the docket and that's okay. Do we have anything to say about the weird dynamic of a man fight? I'm almost, there's a Don Quixote aspect to it right here of Russell Westbrook trying to fight his nickname uh, that I can almost admire where, because the, the first thing they tell you when you're a little kid is 
Don't get mad when somebody gives you a mocking nickname because it's just going to be your stones name. break my bones. Yeah, it's will the never thing it's drummed into you from an early age. Yeah, but words are violence now, Ethan. I mean, to see Skip Harmful. Bayless calls Westbrook Westbrook. By the way, not a name that's entirely coincidental. You know, not not a name that he just pulled out of nowhere, right? Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's correlative to his three point shooting percentage. Yes, and so then I think earlier in the season he got mad. That's my name. That's my family name. My kids are, you know, you know, have to deal with that. And now it's the same thing again, where where Bayless mentioned it online, and Westbrook and his wife and like they're. They're they're doing this battle to try to force Skip Bayless to stop same to stop same Westbrook. I I find it and fascinating. it only inflame it only inflames him more. He's like, you wouldn't say that to my face. It's like, are you kidding me? Do you know like I, mean, I don't Troy want to go Aikman. off Grant Cohn about how much Ru- Skip would love if Russell Westbrook punched him in the face? But like, yeah. do you know how much he would love that? Ah, oh, God. I mean, that's why he works out every day. That's why he's such a workout obsessive. He's he's prepared for that day where he gets punched in the face. Um, and he wouldn't fight back. He he would take the fight. He would get punched in the face, get up, and call him Westbrook again. <laughs> it would be basically like that Jim Rome, uh, Jim Everett uh, standoff. Uh, yes. from that classic '90s clip of calling a Jim Everett, Chris Everett. And, uh, you know, actually something happened, a bit of a tackle. Oh, we got a caller in the queue. Let's see about Nick right here, because we are going to shift pretty we soon. We are, we are, we're, we've got a lot of ESPN. Uh, People ask me why I write about ESPN. It's because they're the Colossus. What else are you going to talk about? You're talking about sports. Nick, how you doing? Hi, what's going on? Sorry, I am walking home in uh, Manhattan right now, so I apologize if it's uh, a little loud around me, just, uh, yeah, I saw some uh, ill-timed construction. Um, I wanted to touch on a point you made about the Benioff versus Lacob mm. uh, dichotomy and kind of tie it into the other stuff you're talking about um, with the idea, like, I feel like you're insinuating that Benioff is not, like, any morally better than these people, but he is able to shroud himself in the whole uh, stakeholder versus shareholder type construct and he he basically does things that allow him to be covered very favorably by an increasingly anti-tech press oh pretty much Uh, i i would say so i i don't know if i was thinking about it in terms of who's morally better but on a pure aesthetic level i enjoy lake up more so uh, the aesthetics of a lake up and a benioff yeah yeah 100 percent. and but i i was just kind of like tying it to the whole new media versus old media and the uh, Draymond going after Skip, the all of these things that I think have been kind of wildly successful in generating attention for every actor involved. Uh, like, to me, it just seems very obvious that these people are very smart mm. and are, like, I just, I know a couple people who worked on First Take in the uh, like prime Stephen A. Skip days, and based on what they told me about, like what they emphasized in the production meetings and stuff, like I, I think a lot of these things have been very intentional. Is what I'll yeah. say. Like, and, and honestly, like I, I think, um, like whenever you look at the YouTube comments for like the viral JJ Reddick Stephen A. segments, uh, like that is very obviously the plan. I think. Um, because mm. it yeah, they for, they rehearse yeah. these shows before they air. It's not like the debaters are in these like pods just doing their own research and studying for the tests. Like they're in meetings with each other and have these debates for like two hours before the show even starts. Yeah, yeah. and oh, sorry. No, no, I want to hear you continue, and then and then we will boot you. To get the uh, the Manhattan sound out of here, although your commentary was quite sorry. No, um, you, you got great I, commentary. Uh, and uh, Chelsea, New York, will do that. Um, but I, um, yeah, no, it, it's the kind of thing with. Um, I, I I feel like there's like a weird like like the, you think about the man behind the curtain concept. I feel like the curtain's coming back over. Mm. I think um, in that like I don't know which people involved came up with this or anything, but I as someone who admires confidence. Uh, yeah, I'm. I admire it, and to just 
this last thing, yeah, to circle back to the owner thing, like, I'm a long-suffering Mets fan, and Oof. no matter what happens, like, the difference between Steve Cohen owning the team compared to before has been maybe the happiest prolonged mm. stretch of my, like, sports fandom life, unfortunately, and I do mm. wonder if, like, uh, long-suffering Warriors fans feel that way, even if it, for obvious Twitter-related reasons, might not come out that way. I'll hang up. Sorry. Thanks, guys. No, these were good good call. Good job by you, Nick. (laughs) Good job by you. Uh, I was supposed to go on uh, Cousin Sal's uh, podcast this week, but um, it it got canceled, unfortunately. I was very sad about that. Uh, Hopefully another time. Um, Yeah, I I think it's more fun if you regard some of these shows as... You You know that's him doing a Russo impression, right? You know what's uh, yes, yes, I do know that, and I you know what the funny thing though is, I only knew about Mike and the Mad Dog from that podcast, from the Bill Simmons <laughs> podcast. I had no other, I had no other inkling of what that was. Have you uh, gone back and watched their rant about like the bathrooms at Yankee Stadium? No, but this you, sounds you like, have to when we hang up. Um, yeah, this uh, it, this sounds like a glorious YouTube rabbit hole for me. Um, but yeah, I I was um, first take pilled back in the Warriors days when I was a beat writer on the road because I was up at weird times. I was in you know hotel rooms in the middle of the day in Cleveland and places like that, and I knew what the savvy cool kid take was on these shows, which is that it was by idiots and for idiots. But then I started watching, and, uh, and I you went, know, comparing their ratings to Paw Patrol. Yeah, that that type of thing. Our favorite media critic. Uh, it, but I, I watched it, and I just went, "Oh my god, this is brilliant theater. This is this is just incredible acting." And I appreciated it. But they're not actors. That's what makes it so brilliant. Is they like absolutely believe everything that they say. So to Nick's point, yeah, they gear the show to find areas where there's going to be considerable disagreement and conflict. But, like, Skip is not somebody who is playing a character or even amplifying a character. Same with Stephen A. Stephen A's a little bit amplified. But, like, both of them 1,000% believe their arguments and would, like, bet their lives on them. That's what I'm jealous of. I wish that I cared about sports like that. And maybe they don't care about sports like that, but I could, if I could even pull off caring to that degree, I, I feel like I would have been a, a, a more successful media member if I was that angry. You're the top sports writer on Substack. Save some success for the rest <laughs> of us. It's like, what does that, what does that mean? Is that like how Duke is the Harvard of the South? Just kidding. I did not take you know problems. exactly <laughs> what it means when, when you're direct deposit. Uh, but look, look, no, I'm very happy. I'm very happy with how things have gone. And uh, part of the reason that they've gone that way, Ryan, is that we'll talk about some of these controversial subjects, but not in a way that is hysterical and uh, propagandistic, I, I would hope anyway. Yes. Uh, and, and such is the segue. Which one do you want to go with first? I want to start the Title Nine because um, I think it blends into everything else. Let's do it. Okay. Okay, so has study. anybody did... noticed yeah. that this is the 50-year anniversary of Title Nine? I have been made <laughs> show, aware. Show of thumbs if anybody was aware of that. I, I have been made aware while watching the NBA draft, yes. <laughs> so um, ESPN, like, I mean, you can't go a segment without them talking about Title IX. And obviously this was legislation that made the world better. Like, the w- women's sports, like, girls and women should be playing sports and they should be promoted and we should watch them. And uh, some of them... I- I, I would push back on obviously. I, I think we can't do the counterfactual of what would happen. Would it be a more organic process that these high schools would do it as society goes wherever it goes? And there are externalities as far as because the colleges need to have uh, distributions as they are, certain sports get cut, certain sports get de-emphasized. I, yeah, I, like Wisconsin like, doesn't have a baseball to, team, yeah. so I don't care about college baseball, like, to your point. <laughs> that, that is a fair point. But anyway, can, continue. All right, so, you know, the we, we know that the viewers of ESPN 
don't want this jammed down their throat. We talked to a lot of people in and out of the media bubble, and there's private conversations all over the place. You wrote a piece on how, like, the text thread has replaced social media, and just I'm the back channel conversations that you and I have are both receiving is like, man, why are they just hammering this so much? And yeah, I, I I was not watching. Yeah. I'm going to say I was not watching the NBA draft. I was on the way to pick up my son and my phone was blowing up with prominent media members uh, who were saying it was, it was a little much and wondering if I might write something about it. So it was, it was tripping wires. This is, is, this is going to have to, I don't know, maybe I, I'm going to see if I can write something about it. I'm not optimistic that I can get it through, but um, the, like just so that we can't tell how it impacts or doesn't impact the NF- the NBA draft ratings or any games that they they put these segments in or anything of that nature because it's just such a there's a million different variables. The NBA draft was up this year versus last year for what it's worth, but hmm. they did run these standalone documentaries all month, and I have been following the ratings of them because I suspected that they would be quite bad, and I was right. So. They did five of them this month. The first one, like the Dream On, I think that was around like 250,000 viewers. Um, last night, the the Title IX documentary did 112,000 and 102,000 in the two hours in prime time. The Tuesday before that was 152,000 and 133,000. That's in just prime like, time. that's like, Th- that's astoundingly low. I bet you in between 8 and 10 p.m. For yeah. the year, I bet you ESPN averages like 1 to 1.5 million and, viewers, if and, not more. And some people are going to listen to what you just said, and they might be a little, I don't know, dismissive of it. And they, they get on us, I, I think, sometimes when we talk about the rejection, the quiet rejection of certain political messaging in sports as measured in viewership. But a lot of these people, let's face it, aren't particularly numerate. And might not have uh, the proper perspective on how insane those numbers are for those. That, I think that I I would bet that those are two of the twenty lowest nights in prime time of the last thirty years in ESPN. Yeah, that is test pattern. That is the only people watching, or it's accidental, or it's you know the amount of people who died watching it that day and the like TV the, the, to be but the thing is is that women's sports are would draw way better ratings than that and we have proof of it yeah. just from last night because at they aired usa versus columbia women at 10 p.m and that tripled the two hours before it and so imagine what viewership that would have gotten if they put it at eight i don't know where the game was played but ESPN, if they wanted to put that game at eight instead of 10, you'd think they would have been able to do it. I think they would. And maybe it would have been like six or 700,000 people watching it, which would have been six or seven times what watched this documentary. So I don't think they're doing women's sports a better service by airing this documentary in prime time than they would be by just airing actual sports. And this would be a good time of year for women's sports to be prominent because the men's sports, uh, other than baseball, are... Which they got out of. That's why they have some of these windows, because they've gotten out of weeknight baseball, and those packages went to Peacock and Apple. But... um, the, like, yeah, they, they like women. If they if there was like a professional women's hockey league, that would do better than yeah. these documentaries did. Like if they had like if they had the WNBA Title Nine tournament and got sponsors to make it so like the winning team gets like three million dollars, which is like triple the whole WNBA salary cap. Imagine like what that would be like. Like what you like a team gets three million dollars, their whole the salary for the year, each player tripled or nothing. You don't think people would watch a game with that stakes? I, I agree, but I have to respond to my man, wise ass Charlie from Chicago. 
Yes, I should have just said they weren't good at math. Yes, I, I said it in the most pretentious, uh, oblique way possible. You, you you burned me. You burned me, Charlie, when I was It's true, though. They're not good at math, and they don't um, understand, like, the context of just, like, it's not just that it dropped, like, 50% from what it normally was. This is, like, a 70 or 80% drop yeah. from if they aired women's soccer this in gets time. at the big question the big question one of the big questions of our podcast of my sub stack and you can tie it to how we also saw last week with the uh, supreme court striking down Roe versus wade uh that there are these lectures you see on the tv about it very emotional very angry and the question is who is this for? Who is this uh, for? You know, you're, for? You're putting out documentaries. Quoted in variety. Is that what it is? You know, if you're putting out documentaries that nobody wants to watch, uh, then then who is it for? Uh, what is the idea here? Um, I, I'm referencing, of course, there was this clip. It was uh, viral on Twitter of Malika Andrews reacting to the the Roe decision. Now. I don't want to be glib about the decision. That's a decision that's going to impact millions of people's lives. And it is uh, an incredibly fraught issue. Uh, and beyond all of that, I'm sure that there are going to be some laws in the aftermath of, of this being struck down that go too far. And I think that I frankly think that much of the public will punish those laws that go too far. Um, but be that as it may, there's something strange about seeing the issue relayed as utterly simplistic and just yes or no, up or down, binary. And you, uh, I think, shared you shared a post with me and because my internet's not working, I can't pull it up. It was a Barrett Sports Media and somebody reacting to that specifically um, and citing the, the Andrews post. And uh, I'll also say that I like Malika. I wish her the best. I want her to do well. But I at least agreed with some aspects of the column that you sent me. And could you do a little expository and take it to it? Yeah. So it was like a guy who was like, first of all, I like this is the Roe versus Wade thing. If I want to go find coverage of it, I don't have to look very far. There there was a lot of coverage. There was a lot of coverage. Um, (laughs) So he's like, you know, let's say I'm someone who's spending 80% of my time reading this coverage, but I want to relax and like watch something else. Where do I go? It used (laughs) to be ESPN. Like in 2002, if Roe versus Wade got overturned um, and you turned on 6 p.m. Sports Center, they wouldn't I don't think (laughs) Can you imagine uh, Chris Berman doing his uh, 60, uh, whatever that thing was called. The fastest three minutes. The fastest three minutes and working in something there. It's very hard for me to imagine. Yeah. I mean, all all of these um, bygone people at ESPN, I think, saw themselves as the escape from all the bullshit in our lives, whether that's at home or in our politics. And so ESPN was a Switzerland. And what people would say negatively in response to that is that, well, that's a privileged position. If you (laughs) are somebody in And yes, that's the privileged position your customer wants to have. They're not paying to be unprivileged or, you know, sitting through advertising for it. Yeah, and so, uh, (laughs) I mean, I think that we can draw a line from these Title IX viewership numbers when it's actually the standalone product that I just don't think the average ESPN viewer really wants to hear from them oh, about these topics. Even even if they agree, right? I mean, it, for one, it, again, it's a very complex issue. It's an issue so complex that there are people who believe that Roe versus Wade is bad law and poorly decided who are very disappointed that it was taken away. I mean, that, that sentence alone, 
I think that's Ruth Bader Ginsburg's position, actually, or was uh, before she passed. That that sentence alone leads you to understand some of the complexity here. And I think there's She's something... not blameless in this, by the way. I don't want to go on a RBG. Hey, maybe if you want to be conspir- conspiratorial, maybe she thought it was a bad law. I don't know. Too soon. Uh, anyway, look, I'm saying what I'm saying is that even people who are broadly against the Supreme Court's decision don't necessarily want to be lectured in that way, in a way that's incredibly emotional, incredibly simplistic, and is that sense that that David Foster Wallace quote of how it's difficult it's difficult to feel something that you should be feeling when you feel like you're being manipulated into feeling it. And I'm not even saying that you should be feeling it. I'm just saying that I, I think people have that they have that reaction sometimes. They don't want it. They went to the vending machine. They pressed R2 for a Reese's peanut butter cup. <laughs> and a sardine flopped out. You know, maybe they like a sardine. But they didn't want it then. That wasn't what they wanted. That wasn't what they selected. And that's what you're giving them. So that's the dynamic. And the question is, how does this keep happening over and over and over again? We have reams of evidence that the people watching this don't want it. Is it just that the younger employees feel it's their moral responsibility to do so and everybody is too scared to say anything? Is it, is it as simple well, as that? Well, yeah. I mean, so that's the thing is Malika was not – um, you know, improvising that monologue. It was, she was reading it from a prompter. And that means with our knowledge of ESPN, that had to go through how many sets of eyes and layers of management before it reached the air. The answer is a lot. And so it's, you, it's not as simple as just, you know, blaming her for it. Um, it, it it's an institutional well, I decision. Think, I, I don't think that she would even think of it as blame. I think she would think of it as she was doing it, something moral and something right and something righteous. And I think there is that sort of fervor when the current thing hits that it, the vertically integrated messaging apparatus, whatever you want to call it, where it can feel as though there is only one, there is only one position. There is only one correct position. And on something like this, Man, can I not go there? It's just they're. they're yeah, I really don't want to go into like the nuances of all of it and just keep it to. Um, yeah, like well, you know, well, I, I'm gonna the say other something. point in the in yeah. the Barrett Sports Media piece, um, we should look up the the guy's name. Let me look do that real quick. But um, the Some other Brown, yep. Brown, I think. Yeah, his last name was Brown, but I didn't remember his first name. Um, so the. He, he he said that um, it is like all of the – it's Ryan Brown. I of all people should have remembered that. One of the other things that he said was that um, the all, all of these um, segments are on one side of the political aisle. They, there's no balance. There's nobody who is on their – on ESPN just talking about how badly our current administration botched inflation or, um, the, or how the about running cities from, where from violent crime is escalating from the left on this issue. And you've seen this, you've seen this opinion, um, this opinion evinced by, by a range of people who are not on the right. Charlemagne, the God, one of the greatest interviewers of America, you could criticize that the Democratic Party could have codified this and had five decades to do so and many opportunities and just used it for fundraising. I mean, you can even criticize. Or like, yeah, or RBG not retiring during Obama and leaving the seat susceptible to a Trump nominee. Yeah, but you don't see that. It just seems like they are a mouthpiece for one political party, not even an ideology just a mouthpiece for one political party. And God, that doesn't, who, who wants that? Who's into that? Um, yeah, well, it's, you know, they're the, other than their title nine docs, their ratings have been good recently due to, I think a lot out of home and a lot of people turning off the news, like the cable news ratings, um, like over the last quarter have just like fallen off a cliff, especially like year over year, especially yeah. at CNN and MSNBC. 
But um, so that means like more people to watch ESPN because sports and news are on the margins substitute products. But yeah, um, yeah, there's no way for this to ding ESPN like they can really they they can afford to um, serve their customers sardines when they order Reese's peanut butter cups because they have about half of the relevant live sports rights and we need to watch sports. We don't have to watch NBA today, but we do have to watch, you know, the NBA finals. So it, I don't, it, it's just, that's exactly, they, they, they built a moat that they're impervious yes. to um, like, it, it, it's, you know, they, uh, I'm sorry that ESPN doesn't have the customers that they want, but they <laughs> don't. And they just they're they they feel like resentful for that fact. That is the psych. That is the psychology. That is what it is. I don't think it's it's explicitly said by anybody, but it is the psychology at a certain level. Is that they are people of a certain class who are embarrassed by the people they're reliant on for their livings, and that's a common thing among sports writers, where we're all these temporarily embarrassed New York times reporters. Um, and it will get there one day. And that is the psychology, but it's reinforced to what you're saying by how they are impervious. I mean, I've, I got a text during the draft, somebody saying somebody high up saying that this is just a natural experiment of whether it's possible to squander a live rights monopoly. And I suspect it is impossible to squander that monopoly. And so they're not doing nearly as well as they could be if they tone some of this stuff down, but they're going to be doing better than the alternative no matter what. And therefore, uh, there's not really a natural, too much of a natural punishment um, for turning yourself into a. Yeah, they, they're only picking up more sports rights. They're getting in the Super Bowl rotation, they're adding more NFL games, they monopolize the SEC. They just added, they have all the UFC rights. They just added the NHL back. They haven't lost anything other than maybe they're going to lose the Big Ten, which isn't nothing. But when you consider it against what they've gained in the last three or four years, pales in comparison. One of our commenters says that he likes sardines. That's a take I cannot agree with, but I I would argue that if you were biting into the Reese's and it turned out to be a sardine, I, look, maybe you're that kind of freak. I don't know. But I think a lot of people, a lot of people. I'm not would seeing have, these chats. I, I see am. one guy who said I sound like a South Park character. That's maybe Cartman, but. That, that, that was a criticism from one uh, Mike Procopio uh, of the uh, Bogut. I think he's a little jealous. He's a little jealous of how we do on call-in. So, so you know. And he's one of these shit-giving Bostonians. And if I were you, I would give it right back to him because he has a very Wait, thick... Wait, did it, Andrew Bogut is mad that we do better on Colin? No, but his co-host, his co-host is. And I had his them co-host on the said I sound like a South Park character. I do not have a great <laughs> broadcasting voice, and it's one of the reasons I don't have a broadcasting career, but um, there. Have you ever thought about just doing a fake voice? I've th- I thought about just having a different voice than I actually have uh, when I was doing Sports Center hits. I thought about what if I talked like the other guys doing Sports Center hits? Um, I don't and- think I would have the talent to inflect my voice differently to the point where it would be like a satisfactory broadcasting voice. You don't have a Colin Cowherd. You, you don't. You don't got. You don't got. That's that. That's the only invitation I go to these days. Is the limited. The <laughs> My limited only one Cowherd. is Simmons. I've done that one enough. But yeah, um, it's yeah, it's um. So, but, it, but but back to ESPN. It's just you know, the they they lost their credibility chips on um this whole like it's just been like what six seven years. Uh, there's this wrestler MJF who says his tagline is like, I'm better than you and you know it. Mm. And I just, Very Chevy chase. <laughs> I'm Chevy chase and you're not. Yeah. It's yes. like they, they're in. And by the way, they tried really hard to get rid of this. And to the point where like they were just repeat their management was repeatedly getting accused of being racist. And then after 2020, 
it just became all right again. They like admitted in the Washington Post that the their viewers don't want this stuff. But now when when Richard Deitch brought it up with Jimmy Pitaro again, Pitaro used the line, well, we don't think um, these things are politics. And so you can use that to explain away anything. Yeah. And yeah. The, my, my views on political matters are so self-evidently correct that they're not politics. They transcend politics is a line we see a lot. Yeah. And so, I mean, look, it's, if you agree with them, it's, you still might not want to hear it there because of your vending machine analogy. But if you don't agree with them, then, it's just they've totally alienated you, but they don't care because they have all these live rights and you need them. Yeah, yeah, you you will keep coming back. Um, and then, I mean, there, this issue is just, it's attached to so many other issues and I don't think we're gonna, we're gonna get to it all in one evening. But let's take, uh, we got a call. We got a call in the queue. We got Lance. Let's make him the next caller. Lance, Lance, Lance. Lance, Lance, Lance. With the ladybug Abby, how you doing? Good. How's it going? Um, yeah, I took that picture in my house. Cool, right? Ladybug in your house, but why are there so many little bugs that are so appealing to these critters? So I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but anyway, I live in the. We, we want an, we want an extremely Philly take. That's that's what we what we called you to the stage. Uh, what you got? Oh, that's for right. us? You remember me? You remember me from before, huh? Now, how could you? How could about... we goddamn forget you? But right, so you. I don't about... want to interrupt the bit. Okay. I know, but I I had to get schooled on my own on my own room to you know use your inside voice, guy. I was the host, but it's like yes, I take the point. Use your inside voice. But the uh, mm. so the uh, are you guys talking about the Title IX politics or just generally? Whatever you want. Whatever well, you I just want. want to pick up the thread, though. I'd like to know you know kind of where you guys were talking about Title IX, or because I have my own opinion. Certainly, I'm not going to base it on what you say. But is that what you were talking about? The heavy handedness about like pro or anti Title yeah. IX? Well, well, no, it was just like the, no, these documentaries. I didn't watch them, so I don't know if they were good or informative. But my opinion is, I just like saw it, and I was like, I, I don't know. I don't think that ESPN. I, I just don't want to hear it from them anymore. And I think that they would be better serving women's sports by airing them in prime time in these slots instead of these documentaries. Right. Exactly. It's like virtue signaling on the on the general principle. Well, why don't you show more women's sports and then maybe you'd get that they, they, the same, in same fairness, result. ESPN, they show more women's sports than anybody else. But at the same time, they air like the WNBA finals on ESPN two opposite NFL Sunday. So there are ways that they could improve their amplification of it as well. Yeah, yeah. It's just interesting because, you know, every time I bring up the 60s to people, they think I'm nostalgic for the 50s. No, the 60s was dead by 1967, way before Woodstock. OK, it's not, I'm not nostalgic for the 60s. I mean, I had a lot of How fun. I was a you? I'm older than I'm older than dirt, man. I just became I just got my official curmudgeon car because I just turned 65. OK, but I grew up as a kid in the 60s. And, yeah, it was entertaining. No, I am not nostalgic for the 60s. I'm nostalgic for any decade, the decade of my 20s, like most people. And that was the 80s, which sucked all around. So I have no nostalgia for the 60s. But in terms of comparison, it's very valid in terms of like at least debate was was vibrant. So, you know, you had Howard Cosell. You remember him, right? Of course. Yeah. 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 So he had he had they had polls out and he won for the most favorite number one popular you know, guy they like in sports broadcasting. He also won for least popular. He literally won. He was the most favorite and the least favorite, right? And his whole dog and pony show with Muhammad Ali was brilliant. They would go at each other. And the thing is, Cosell didn't hold back when he interviewed Ali. Now, I don't know if this is off topic, but I'm just saying that you can have these kinds of conversations, pro or against. It wasn't like, oh, my God, this guy's got to get canceled. He had the wrong take. That wasn't the way it was. William F. Buckley was having, you know, Black Panthers on his show talking about killing all the white people. And they had polite crowd. And he and didn't he get canceled. He, he was nearly he fist won. fighting with Gore Vidal, you know, back in the old days, the good old days. Oh yeah, the Gore Vidal Norman Mailer thing. But my God, even Dick Cavett, he had Lester Maddox and Jim Brown on. Lester Maddox stormed off the stage. Dick Cavett said, "Oh wow, I'm surprised. I can't believe it's going to be controversial." Dick Cavett deliberately did it, you know, and he would always play innocent. 
right? And, you know, he had Ali on, and Ali's talking about 400 years of slavery and going on in his, like, I can ramp away. I, I got nothing against, you know, can't compare to Ali, right? And finally, a Cabot's like, I, I want to try to butt in a little bit, and Ali just wouldn't stop. And he's like, okay, I'm going to talk now. This is my show. And you wouldn't have any slavery if it wasn't for black warlords in Africa with Dick Cabot's point, who's a total liberal, okay? But he got a point, right? And, and my also, point is four, that, wasn't Dick Cabot like four foot five? I mean, that's, that's bold by Dick Cabot. I mean, that's not his real height, but he's a small guy, is what I'm saying. Tiny. And he had this kind of quiet but very mellifluous voice, and, you know, he was very laid back, you know. But, yeah, I mean, so – this whole thing, it's just hilarious to watch everybody act like children because it's so immature. And this is not a nostalgia for the 60s. All right. But you could talk about shit. They had rap sessions, you know, where you would just go at each other and not on TV so much where it was more polite than back then. And the Beatles were still wearing suits and ties. But, you know, you could have robust conversations without uh, thinking that the other person is, is just a nut. Oh, yeah. So back to freaking Coward Cosell. He would ask Ali. The most incendiary questions. Why? Because he knew they're out there anyway. So Cosell did not say, hey, this is my buddy. I got to be soft. They were great. They were great marketers. They were best friends. You know who the first person, when Cosell being a lawyer and being his ear to the ground, you know the first phone call Ali got when he won nine to nothing about his conscientious objector, Howard Cosell. Howard Cosell mm -hmm. called Ali. He was the first one to congratulate him. So it was just a stage. It was a dog and pony show. And fucking Ali said, I learned my whole shtick from Gorgeous George, the wrestler. And so it's just so it's hysterical to watch when you had normal mainstream. Okay, one example. And I'm sorry, this is off topic, right? But laughing, the show laughing. It's on TV now, right? And they're doing things that's called the fickle finger of fate, which is basically fuck you. They can't say fuck you on national TV. They had a finger that was like tied with a bow, right? And it was called the fickle finger of fate. It was basically obviously a euphemism for it's a fuck you award. They gave one to the Pentagon showing all the money they spent on missiles. They gave one to six senators who were doing this corrupt junket, you know, being, you know, swayed and going to the Riviera and all this shit you would never see now. And so it's like, what the fuck, man? I'm sorry. I'm a geezer. OK, but just the idea that, you know, that we're listening to this this back and forth. It's like a bunch of junior high schools running our country. We had assholes running the country, but at least they were adults back in my day. Lance okay. uh, spectacular call. Thanks so much. And uh, I now am convinced I am convinced that Lance is not a character. I'm convinced that, that this is an actual guy, an actual guy from Philly who is who is as old as he says he is. I mean, what do, what do you think, Ryan? I I think so. I it just it would have, for for that to be a a bit would be um very committed like I, you know performing for the 66 people in our college. <laughs> I mean, I I I thought it was a strong bit because the accent was so strong and he he was so colorful. But now you, you just can't do that extemporaneously about laughing and everything else without it being legit. So Lance has convinced me. Uh, is there anything else we touch on before we get on out of here? I mean, uh, I'm uh, thinking about it. Well, the, uh, this isn't really a great discussion topic, but while we were talking, TMZ broke that I, I Miles um, Bridges was – arrested for felony domestic violence like on oh. the eve of free agency like when he He's... is like the probably but... after eight and the most like sought after free agents so. he, it, it, it seems like he's spiraling and i don't know the exact circumstances of that arrest and won't speculate but he did uh put out something on instagram where he appeared to be sipping lean a few weeks ago if memory serves and it's just i i don't know what exactly is going on with that he's somebody where i didn't know much about him beyond uh he's he's got that friendly dynamic where draymond's almost like his big brother since he's uh you know, out of the same part of the country and everything else um and uh yeah, yeah, I don't know what's going it's, on. That's there. not like a, it's not a conversation topic, but it's not a conversation. It's not a conversation topic, but it, it, I think it just is a reminder that some people in sports do have this self-destructive streak, um, and I don't know what it's we'll about. We'll see, like what happened. We'll let it. Well, all unfortunately, play it out. seems like there's more than a, a there, there's an alleged more than a self-destructive aspect to it. So I don't want to be. Uh, just focusing on the person um but you know it's uh but we can i we, i do i do think everyone should go to barrett sports media at, like 
Oh, I want to talk about like the reaction to it because it was just oh, all okay. you know glib and being like, oh, you have Clay Travis on your show and you're complaining about politics entering sports and stuff, but. That you know, has been coded as conservative. Like that's been, been, if you don't want the dominant messaging, then you are MAGA, which is partially why we have the dominant messaging because everybody's scared that they're going to get labeled. What is the most stigmatized thing to be um, in professional class life? I mean, you can probably see this. I think I, I tweeted out bragging, sir, that uh, I am the top, top newsletter on Substack, And I'm sure I haven't really checked it, but I'm sure if you look at the list, there'll be people saying it only happened because my subscribers are are MAGA or or whatever. And it just becomes this tool of enforcement, basically. I'm sure I do have subscribers who are MAGA. I also Probably. have a lot of subscribers who aren't and a lot of people who just, you know, they're, they're your typical liberal sports fan or sports writer but Soto Voce will come to me and go yeah things are getting kind of crazy um and it's this look it's this this social pressure where even to say that you want neutrality is coded as something reactionary and radical uh which is of course insane and like we keep thinking that this November it's gonna have to be a wake-up call well, you know, I do think, I mean, this is where we get into the punditry, Ryan, where I do think what happened on Friday will probably undercut uh, some some Republican gains. Um, I, I think, I, I just think you're going to, they're probably going to lose some in the suburbs from that. There was an AP report on how party identification shifters, uh, two to one, are shifting uh, Republican in the last year over Democrat. And a lot of those gains are in the suburbs. I would have to imagine if I had to guess that what happened on Friday might stem. There's just so much stuff that can happen between now and November though. Like, well, I don't know. Like, cause the, the, I feel like the Democrats in Congress, like when they have mansion and cinema, they can ram stuff through. And so I think we're going to see Congress like, capital D do capital S something. Yeah. Well, there is a lot of time to what you're saying. And um, there is a lot of time to make the conditions in the country worse and, and everything else. I just think in a vacuum, if I had to guess that would stem some of it and, you know, Dave Portnoy, that's a whole topic we didn't get to. Oh yeah, man. He, he switched, he didn't switch sides because he's never really on a side, but he had been embraced by like, you know, the, Tucker Carlson's and Dan Bongino's of the world. He came out very pro-choice. He seemed kind of rattled by the response. So what I noticed, I mean, that's, that's the big question. And I'm going to be, hopefully, I think you don't want to do this. You don't want to reveal that you're going to, you're going to have a podcast before you do it because it can always get canceled, but I'm going to be doing one with a Sagar on jetty of breaking points. Ooh, he's good. Yeah, and he was highlighting the Portnoy thing, and he was saying that it, it's kind of a, an indicator of some of the support that the Republicans might lose, this Portnoy thing. And I think the question I would ask is, which is the signal here? Is it Portnoy and what he said, or is it the furious backlash that he got from a lot of his followers that had him putting out videos where he's saying, hey, guys, can we just all get along? You know, which is not a phrase I've ever heard him say. <laughs> Until now, <laughs> so I don't know what this—I don't know what the true signal is right there. Ugh, who knows? Anyways, I think yeah. this was a good show. Um, we're the only people who are really having this conversation about ESPN, and so um, it—it—it's it, therapeutic to get it out. And like you know, I, it does. I think it, it feels like a little bit of a risk, at least for me, but. Um, I don't, <laughs> don't want to be. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. No, sorry, I, I cut you off. Yep. I, like, it, it just, I, I don't, I don't know. It, they, someone has to point this out when they when they air these documentaries that <laughs> are like their most unpopular programming of all time. That like, what are they doing? <laughs> I suppose. I mean. 
I guess nothing necessarily has to happen, but what it represents is a market inefficiency. It's the market inefficiency that Clay Travis has driven a Brinks, uh, what was it, a Brinks truck yeah. out of the bank with uh, and through. Um, but then I think people in media and sports media just go, well, he's the one bad guy. And that's that's it. There's no other hunger for any other commentary. I say that there are a lot of there's a lot there. You don't have to be clay. You don't even have to be Republican or right wing to just notice that there is an intense conformity, a lot of goofy messaging, um, a lot of people who, frankly, are not qualified to talk about very serious events who are using their sports platforms to try to, I don't know, pretend like they're a statesman or some such, and nobody really buys it, and everybody thinks it's bullshit, but there aren't too many people pointing out that that it's gotten that it's gotten ludicrous. And I, I, I don't even know I don't even know when it shifts, but I do know again that it has helped my Substack get to number one. <laughs> So all right, well, that's a good way to end. Congratulations. And thank you. Thank we'll you. See you guys all next week. See you next week, everybody.